Good morning, everybody. Goeiemorgen. Praat die mense daarom heen, Elfendel, so'n bykie Afrikaans. Kleine bykie. I'm so glad to be with you here this morning. It's indeed a privilege. I've been so blessed just by the worship, uh, the communion. I came at the right time, so thank you, Pastor Denver, for inviting me. Uh, it's so good to be with you this morning, and I counted a, a God-given privilege. You know, I was thinking as I was sitting here, maybe 2% of the people here know me. I don't know who I am, but for the rest of you, you don't know me, I don't know you, but we know the one who knows us all, who's known us from even before the foundations of the earth were laid. My life's verse, if you forget my sermon, and, and it might be a boring sermon, I hope not, I'm feeling a little bit under pressure. Here's a man called John of God, and he's coming to evaluate the message today. If you just said John, I would have been okay, but John of God. Anyway, luckily I'll be preaching from the Bible, so I want to share with you my life verse. If you forget everything else, remember this verse, Psalm, Psalm 68, verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation, Sila. Pause. Think about this. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs escapes from death. See, that's my testimony. As a young student, I attended the, the UWC many, many years ago. Does anybody know what UWC stands for? Anyone? <laughs> University of the Wild Coloreds. <laughs> when I was there, it was wild. You know, they used guys like us, like me from Port Elizabeth, to throw stones at the police. Do you know what they say of a binar? A binar as you go with a clip. Maybe I should stay in English for these brothers here. A guy from P, if he throws you with a stone, even if you take the corner of the bend, that stone will take the bend with you. That's how good we could throw stones. If you keep your Bible open to James chapter 1, that's where I'll be in this morning. But, <clears throat> you know, uh, I wanted to also just say, well, it's in my notes, I'm going to read it anyway. What can I say except that the Lord is good? His mercies endureth forever. We can agree with the psalmist in Psalm 136 because we haven't seen each other or the last time I was here at Living, Living Hope, Pastor Denver was in the States studying. It was six years ago. You guys were in a different building. But the fact is we've come through a COVID, haven't we? And so these days we make reference to, to, to BC and AC before COVID and after COVID. That's how we <laughs> measure time, don't we? <clears throat> but indeed, it's been a difficult time for, for many of you, many of us. Um, most of us have been affected by COVID. Some of us have been infected, right? Anybody here had COVID? Ended up in hospital? My wife and I both had it. We had the dreaded uh, variant uh, 4 or Delta. Was it 5? No, it was 4. And Byra actually ended up in hospital on the oxygen machine, and I thought I was going to lose her. Boy, was my prayer life sharpened. <laughs> Did I start to confess my sins? You know, because we take our wives for granted, but a lot of us have lost loved ones. But here we are, by the grace of the Lord. So just as we started coming over the troubles of COVID, and things started normalizing again, in a sense, then Putin decided to go and declare war on Ukraine. Guess what? Now, all of a sudden, there's a war happening 14,600 some miles away from us. And all of a sudden, we pay more for cooking oil. Petrol has gone up. You know, when I go to the shop, I don't know about you, Brother Peter, but I examine the prices now, you know. <laughs> I don't just buy. I even look at the price per kilo on meat. Uh, so life has become 
very tough for us in South Africa and, and yes, brethren here from different parts of the world and you'll say, well, we're used to hardships like that. So if I were to ask you this morning to describe the world in one word, what would you say? Maybe you'll say hard, difficult. You might say interesting. Some people might say the world is interesting. You might say troubled. In Afrikaans, you say the world is dear mekaar. I like that word. Through each other. <laughs> Tumultuous. <clears throat> to me, that word dear best describes the state of the world today. This world is indeed full of troubles, and I'm sure that's how we all feel at times. Because guess what? We live in this world. Yes, we're not... We're in this world, we're not from the world, but we're in this world, and so we're not immune. We are, we are affected by what happens in the world. And so this morning I want to talk to you about how to handle trials from the book of James, just a couple of verses, or troubles. And the title of my message is, What's Troubling You? What's your mulligate? What's your trouble? Just a quick uh, summary of James. I know your pastors probably covered this several times. Just, just as a reminder again quickly, James is one of the favorite, for, to me it is one of the favorite epistles because James speaks directly to the heart. He tells it like it is. He's regarded as the Proverbs of the New Testament. <clears throat> he challenges us to match our walk with our talk because the problem is today we find many people when you ask him, are you a believer? Yes, I'm a believer. I've always been a believer. And you see the guy lives like this and he does that and you know, he sleeps with his girlfriend, but he's a believer. Many people talk the talk, but they don't walk the talk. We know that all too well. James was also the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he did not draw any attention to, to this fact. In fact, uh, why don't we quickly read the text? James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look how he introduces himself. And I'm reading from the New King James. You might have a different rendition. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Drop down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, when, whenever I read scripture, I feel I have to pray. And I've noticed, Pastor, I commend this church. I don't know how many prayers have already been offered, uh, how many scriptures have already been read. And so truly, this is a Bible church. <laughs> uh, you know, some people say this is a Bible-believing Baptist, blah, 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 they'll add more, you know. So, but that is the most important thing is the word of God and prayer. My house shall be called a word, shall be called a house of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this privilege of us being able to open your word. And yes, Lord, we are thankful and grateful because we were all lost. We were sinners um, until you found us and rescued us and brought escapes from death. Truly, you are the God of salvation, Selah. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Pray that you'll speak through the speaker this morning, first to him and to his heart, and then speak to the hearers. 
And let us, Lord, apply and do your word as it tells us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, yes, we see that <clears throat> James <clears throat> introduces, introduces himself as a bond servant. Not even, not just any servant, but a bond servant, one who has received his freedom and bonded himself back to his master. He could have just have said, you know, James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, he was also an apostle. He was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem, but a humble man. So back in history, there were people who didn't like this epistle of James. They thought it didn't belong in scripture. Martin Luther, for example, called it a strawy epistle because of its emphasis on works and deeds. Whereas Paul, he says, emphasized faith. And, you know, we are people of the faith. But in reality, James was not contradicting uh, Paul. What James is trying to tell us in this short little book of his or letter is that the two goes hand in hand. Without One without the other is useless. As he says in chapter 326, faith without works is dead. And so in order to deal effective, effectively with trials and troubles that comes into our lives, we need to understand what they are and why God allows them to come into our lives. So let me just say also the word troubles is not in my Bible, not in my rendition, and you might not even see that word in your rendition. And so, but for me, this word troubles best describes the struggles and the difficulties of life that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that's why I've taken the liberty to use it. But just by way of outline is what we want to examine very briefly, and the pastor said I could go till 1 o'clock. Uh, was that right, brother? <laughs> well, till 11 o'clock. I'll try my best. Um, we want to look at the truth about troubles or trials. What is, you know, what is true about trials? Secondly, why do they come into our lives? Why does it seem as if sometimes it doesn't rain, it pours. When the one stops, there's three waiting. Why do troubles come into our lives? And then what does God promise to those who endure uh, troubles? What is God's promise to those who endure? So what is true about troubles? Firstly, we have to realize that trials or troubles are inevitable. It's part of the stock of life. They will happen to us, and they happen all the time, but they also have purpose. So they're inevitable, and they have purpose. So again, uh, you may, in your translation, have the word trials, testing, or temptation. Temptations, but they all describe the problems, the or the trials and the struggles of life. And so we also have to distinguish quickly, before I go any further, that even though you have the word temptations there, there is a, dis a distinct distinction between trials or tests and temptations and James makes it clear if you go further down in the passage he says let no one say when he is tempted I'm tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt he himself tempt anyone so there's a difference between temptations the origin of temptations not from God is never the author of temptations but he can allow testings and trials and the, old, the older people say tribulations to come into our lives Satan and we ourselves take the credit for temptations. Maybe you've heard of the little boy who had a, a dog called Troubles. And wherever this little boy went, Troubles followed him. And whenever this little boy got into trouble, he blamed Troubles, blamed the dog. Chuck Swindle wrote this. He said, much of life's music is played in the minor key. Hurts, heartaches, pain, problems and disappointments just don't seem to go away. David said in Psalm 43, verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. 
Job said in 14, one man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Today, as you very well know, many churches are preaching a different kind of gospel. They're preaching a trouble-free Christian experience. A, the old health and wealth gospel or the old prosperity gospel, which I say is better called and better understood as the health and stealth gospel. Because when you look at these guys, you know, with their mega churches, the pastors and the leaders are the guys making all the money. I mean, they budgeting and working out when they can buy their next jet or their next helicopter or whatever. Whilst they have people in their churches who sometimes have no food. How does that add up? I believe many of these people will one day stand before the Lord and say, but Lord, didn't we cast out demons, you know, Matthew 7, 21? Didn't we do this? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And they'll say, who are you? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. These first few verses in James here tells us that trials and troubles are inevitable. They will happen to us and they do happen to us. In fact, Jesus himself said, John 16, 13, in this world you will have, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Well, just in case you think I'm going to be preaching a morbid, you know, struggle message here, no. Um, but James tells us how to deal with these trials and troubles that befall us. He says, count it all joy. My brethren, my brethren, count it all joy. <clears throat> when, not if, when you fall into various trials. The NIV says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Um, I think the King James talks about divers temptations. Now the word that James uses for various <clears throat> or many kinds in the original Greek is the word from which we get the word for polka dot. You don't see many people wearing polka dot outfits anymore, you know, it used to be very fashionable. But it means spread out of all different shapes, colors, and sizes. Perhaps this might describe many people's lives today. Their lives are filled with troubles just spread out like a polka dot cloth. Maybe somebody sitting here this morning might say, yes, brother, that's my life. I just have so many troubles in my life. To be honest with you, I felt like that a few weeks ago. Two funerals, two people died in the family, well, in the church and in the family. And then just as I was coming out of that, just a number of things happened in, the, in our church family and family uh, issues that came up. And I'm sure Pastor Denver will know what I'm talking about. You plan to have a quiet week and then everything else just uh, comes up and disrupts your plan of having a quiet week or time. But James tells us how to deal with the polka dot troubles of our lives. He says, consider it pure joy. Count it all joy. Now, to you and I, that is counterintuitive. That is contradictory. When we have a problem, <laughs> we're not gonna, we don't count it as joy. That's not our first reaction. We sometimes, you know, moan about it. We, 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 we want to get it solved. Yes, we want to obviously get it solved, but we wanted, to, we wanted to get it over right now. But our first reaction is not, how can I glorify God in this trouble in this trial that I'm going through. But as we very well know that joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. Maybe that's where the word comes from. And mostly external like good health, 
good food, good company, when we have you know, enough money in our banking account, we're pretty happy you know, and satisfied. And so happiness and unhappiness do not coexist together, but joy and sorrow can. We see that in the life of our Savior. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then the writer of Hebrews 12, 2 says, But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame thereof, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. My great heroes are Paul and Silas. They were in prison expecting the possibility of imminent execution. But what did they do? And, and why were they in prison? For preaching the gospel of Christ. What did they do at midnight? They started singing songs of praise. And those who heard them, all the prisoners heard them. And then all of a sudden, as we know, there was this huge earthquake. The Lord shook the foundations of the prison and the gates all became a jar. And the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself. And Paul said, stop, we are all here. And this man got saved, not only him, his household as well. And by the way, they got baptized that very night. <laughs> I think the, they must have been baptized like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. in the morning. Uh, Pastor Denver, you know, we wait for, you know, good weather and, and we have all these classes. And you're not at classes, but teachings. No, this Philippian jailer wanted to be baptized immediately. These guys knew the joy of the Lord was their strength. As we know, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that you and I naturally have. You know, it doesn't come through osmosis. We can't conjure it up. It is something that we need to get from the Lord. We need to cultivate it. We have to grow it as we obey the Scriptures and as we live for the Lord. We will have the joy of the Lord in our lives, no matter what trials or troubles we face. So, my friends, trials and troubles are part of the Christian life. It is inevitable. We should expect it. It is not uncommon. But we must know how to deal with it. And that is with joy, knowing that despite what we may be going through, that God is still on the throne. God is always on his throne. But he's with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us and God in us. And our eternal destiny has already been settled. No matter what the outcome of whatever we may go through. Paul and Silas had this hope and joy even when they were beaten and thrown into prison. And I believe hungry. I don't think they even fed them. But they could still sing songs of praise at midnight. There is none of us here this morning that can say, I have a problem that no one has, else has ever had. Or sing that, you know, that old spiritual song, Nobody Knows the Troubles I've Seen. We might think of Job and say, but there was a man who had troubles that no, no one else ever had. Wrong. Think of all the prophets who were executed. Think of all the Christian martyrs who have lost their lives for the faith in Christ. I have a book in my study called uh, Fox's uh, Voices of the Martyrs. Any of you ever read that book or see it? I mean, if you read that thing, it just gives you goosebumps to, to read the stories of how these men were, you know, Arrhenius and all these guys. They, they were offered opportunities to recant and betray Christ. They said, how could I? All he's done for me was good. How could I betray him? These men were burned at the stake, lost their lives. Job lost almost everything he possessed. Yet he did not lose everything. God spared his life, that of his wife. 
and God blessed him at the end of his life even more than before. So trials, my friends, are inevitable to all of us, but they have purpose. They have a divine purpose. I came across a saying during COVID that God never wastes a crisis. Not a national crisis, not an international crisis, neither the crises that happens in our lives. God will use it to his glory if we turn to him. Knowing then, verse 3 and 4, knowing then that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, so that you may be perfect. There was a group of people when I grew up in Port Elizabeth as a young man. They called themselves the Jesus Onlys, and they believed in perfection that once you're saved, you can't sin anymore. And I said, you know, even then, as a young believer, I understood, but this doesn't make sense because you still sin. But they believe in sinless perfection, and you find some groups that, that still believes that. But if you go to 1 John chapter 1, chapter 3, it says, anybody says he has no sin, he's what? He's a liar. He deceives himself. But thankfully, we have one who's our advocate, that if we confess our sins, guess what? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not talking about sinless perfection. The NIV talks about being mature or complete. Let patience have its work so that you may be mature and complete. Troubles allows our faith to be tested. And when our faith is tested, we learn to endure. And after enduring, we become more spiritually mature. The trouble with many people today is they give up too soon. They don't have staying power, no endurance. We see this a lot with the young people, but where do the young people see that? They see that from the adults. People don't want to work long jobs anymore. And yes, the way we work has become very different, you know, uh, working online and working from home. So we understand that. But people are just not willing to do hard work anymore. They lack patience and endurance. Many people start things, but they don't finish them. No wonder the divorce and suicide rates are so high in our country. People are just not prepared to endure. When the least little problem or storm arises, they pack up, they run off. The postmodern man says, I don't need this in my life. This doesn't work for me anymore. So let's just call it a day. Let's just call it quits. And he files for divorce. Sadly, this just happened to a young couple in our church. The wife, sadly, is unsaved and couldn't deal with the problems that she and her husband were facing. And she filed for divorce. After seven years of marriage, how sad is that? People are not patient. So as we look at these verses, we can observe two things. Firstly, testing or, or troubles or trials should not always be taken as a personal offense. Like with Job, sometimes our faith is the target, not we. God can allow certain tests to come our way to stretch our spirituality, to mature and mold us, to become more and more into the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, God wants us to learn patience. As we already alluded, the word patience or endurance, and the word endurance literally means to abide under strain. And as I said before, it's something lacking. Nobody wants strain. Nobody wants pressure. When James spoke of testing, he used a positive term which conveys the idea of approval. The ultimate objective of God in testing us is to, is to approve us, 
strengthen our faith and help us to reach maturity in Christ. But we have to be careful. Sometimes the troubles that befall us in life are troubles that we willfully bring upon ourselves. Sometimes knowing beforehand that a certain decision or choice is not good for us, what do we do? We go ahead and do it anyway. Hard-headed. Peter talks about righteous suffering and suffering for unrighteousness in 1 Peter chapter 4. And so we have to be careful when we do suffer if it is for the Lord. So when we suffer the consequences of foolish or sinful choices, God may very well be disciplining us. According to Hebrews chapter 12, but he is still our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, and He can even allow some good to come from those bad situations for us when we confess and repent of our sins. Romans 8.28 comes to mind. He is the only one who can work all things together for good for us, but we have to be willing to work together with Him. We can't just do our own thing and say, you know, but all things will work together for good because we trust the Lord, we love the Lord. No. You have to obey him. You have to walk in obedience to him and to his word. So troubles are inevitable and they have a godly purpose, which is to bring us to spiritual maturity. But why do they keep on happening? Why do they just keep on coming? We look at verses 5 to 8. Sometimes the troubles of life come to us because of sin, as I've said, or poor planning and decision making. Other times it is entirely beyond us. And it is what God will allow to happen in our lives, as with Job. But James suggests two reasons why they may seem to come into our lives. Firstly, because of a lack of wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. The NIV says, it will be given generously and without finding fault. He will give generously without finding fault. Does God answer all our prayers? Of course not. There are three answers to prayer, and I'm sure Pastor Denver and the elders and all of you know that anyway. It's yes, and it's wait a little while, and it's no. But we always want the answer yes. But no is also an answer, isn't it? And so sometimes God's answer is no because he knows better. And he knows exactly what we need and when we need it. 1 John 5, 14 on the other hand promises us that we can have confidence that we can ask anything according to his will. And when we've asked, when we've asked according to his will, what does he do? He hears us. And not only does he hear us, then he also grants us the petitions that we have asked of him. God always answers us Sorry, God always answers prayers that are according to his will, but in his time. It is also good for us to do to say the Lord's Prayer or the, the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples. And to always pray, Lord, thy will be done, thy kingdom come in my life. May thy will be done and may thy kingdom come in my life. So James says that if we ask for wisdom, which is what God desires for all his children, then he will give us wisdom, liberally, generously. He won't hold back because this is in keeping with his will. Remember King Solomon? God blessed him with tremendous wisdom. There was no man 
who had greater wisdom than Solomon. Why? Because that is what he asked for. And God gave it to him. It was what God desired for, his na- for the nation Israel. Of course, the way Solomon's life ended is another story, and we don't want to go there, but shows us that he departed from the Lord. Today, many believers' pray- prayers are saturated with material things and not for spiritual things. One pastor said is, we pray shallow prayers. You know, our prayers are just about the here and now. We don't even pray for lost souls anymore. We don't pray for the expansion of the gospel. You know, we're just worried about our jobs and and about our health and this and that. And yes, God is interested in those things. But that's not the most important thing. We need to pray for things like wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom today. uh, How to deal with my colleagues and how to deal with the kids at school if you're a teacher. Or wherever you might find yourself. Pray for patience, for compassion, uh, for discernment. James tells us us in chapter 4 that we don't have because we don't ask right. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. You ask for the wrong things. We ask with with selfish motives sometimes. We pray just for me, myself, and I, and my little family. I don't pray for other people. I like Paul's prayers in the letter to the Ephesians particularly in chapter 3, from verse 14 to 19. And maybe I should read that. I just have the last verse there, but I'll read quickly Paul's prayer. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you ever want to pray for me, pray that prayer for me please because I need to grow more in the love of Christ and more in understanding His will and having the heart of Christ for people. I believe this is the reason why we sometimes have so many troubles in our lives is because we don't pray right and we don't act with wisdom. We act unwise and foolish sometimes. Perhaps spending money on something that we really don't need and something that we really can't afford. Ever been there? Ever done that? Two hands up. And suffer once. Perhaps choosing the wrong friends and hanging out in the places that does not honor the Lord. Young people, I see a lot of young people in the church. Bad company corrupts good character, good morals. Stay with the people of God. Yes, we need to engage and associate with family and friends who are lost, who are unsaved. But don't spend all our time with them. Spend time with God's people. Perhaps willfully dating and marrying someone who is unsaved, very dangerous. Knowing what the Bible says about being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. As I shared with you, this happened to this young couple in my church, in our church. This is not a wise decision and inevitably it will reap bad results. Wisdom, dear friends, to me I would say in a practical sense just means doing right, making right choices in accordance with God's word. Stay with the word. It means trusting God even when we don't understand, even when we can't see the way ahead. It's applying Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge him. And he will make the path clear. He will make the path straight. But troubles also come to us because of a lack of faith. Lack of wisdom and lack of faith. 
And James has some tough words here for the doubter, doesn't he? He says, when we doubt God and his ability, we are like the waves blown and tossed about by the wind upon the sea. He says that the doubter should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here he contrasts faith with double-mindedness. That is wanting our own way and at the same time wanting God's way and that dichotomy. Haven't we all been there? And not being able to decide between the two. Many times in our lives we are no better than doubting Thomas and we can point fingers at him but we are there sometimes. A double-minded person can say the right things with his lips but in his heart he has already decided differently. It's almost like saying, yes, Lord, help me. But deep down in my heart, I don't really believe that you can do it. When we do that, that's when we invite unnecessary troubles into our lives. Because we are not patient enough to wait upon the Lord. We, ru we run ahead of the Lord. And then we run ourselves into trouble. And then we say, oh, you're a help me. Oh, Lord, help me. Isaiah 40, 31 onwards some great verses that I know are favorites for many of you. But it has a promise for those who wait upon the Lord. What shall happen to them? What will happen to them? They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall faint not. Sometimes troubles also come into our lives so that we can become more dependent on God. Have you ever noticed how pronounced our prayers, our prayer life is when we're in a crisis. Dan bid ons sommer baie, baie meer ernstig. David wrote in Psalm 119:71. he said this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. It is in times of crisis and troubles that many believers discover the tenderness and the mercies of God and they experience His presence. Paul, the apostle, himself learned this. That God's grace was sufficient for him. When he had the thorn in the flesh spoken of in 2 Corinthians 12. So friends, troubles are inevitable. They come, they keep on coming. They have purpose. And they come into our lives so that we may seek godly wisdom. And not only that, so that we can mature in our faith. Not become sinless, not become perfect. Not going to happen this side of the grace line. Only when Christ comes on the clouds and we receive the new glorified body but so that we can have wisdom and mature in our faith. But we also see then lastly, and I'm going to try and wrap it up quick, that God has a promise to those who endure and overcome troubles. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, the word temptation there can be translated as trial or trouble. So he talks about a future crown that is promised to the believer who endures trials and lives for the Lord. Now this crown of life that he talks about here can also be translated as the crown which is life. <clears throat> In ancient Greece, a wreath of laurel leaves was placed on the head of the victor after an athletic game was played. And so there are many crowns mentioned in Scripture, and I don't want to go into all of them, but there's the crown of life, the imperishable crown in 1 Corinthians 9, crown of righteousness, rejoicing, crown of glory, and so forth. But I don't believe that believers will walk around in heaven with crowns on their heads. Uh, I don't know. We can have that debate afterwards. 
or halos. And I just heard in the week a song about a halo. Somebody about, I can see your halo, or can you see my halo? Anyway, um, in, and there are some people who think they have, you know, halos over their heads. But in fact, I believe if we do receive crowns in heaven, we will lay them at the feet of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who is worthy to receive any crown and to receive all praise and glory and honor. The only one, according to Revelation 4, was worthy to open the scroll and to see what was within that scroll. The title deeds of the earth, I believe. So I believe that the crown of life, year, this is my own opinion, year refers more to eternal life which will be awarded to the believer at the rapture or when he dies. But there is also now the temporal crown of abundant life, which we can enjoy, that we can enjoy even now, that Jesus promised in John 10 verse 10, where he said, The thief came only to rob and to steal, but I have come that they may have life, life more abundantly. So we can have the full life which is in Christ even now. You see, when people start living for the Lord, their lives change for the better. Although they may not have quantity of, of, of things like material possessions, they will have quality of life. Quality of life means the blessed assurance of our salvation, the security of the belief of salvation. No one can ever take it away from us. Forgiveness of our sins for all of eternity and peace with God and also the peace of God which passes all understanding and that even guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus that Paul tells us, tells us of in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. So I ask you, are you suffering some trial or troubles today? Perhaps challenges of health, financial crisis, family challenges? I'm sure each one of us have troubles. If there's anybody sitting here today that can say, uh, Dean... Pastor Dean, I've got no troubles at all. Please put up your hand. I'd like to give you some of mine. <laughs> but we have troubles, don't we? And James says to us, we must rejoice. And we must be able to give thanks for our trial. Not easy. When you hear you've got cancer, your wife has lupus, like my wife, or this happens or that, thank you, Lord. She's still alive. Thank you, Lord, I'm still here. Can still do, I can still do this. I can still, still do that. Thank you, Lord. Not easy to say to give thanks in all things. Yet Paul tells us in, in Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God concerning you. This is God's will for you. James says that eventually blessings will come to those who endure under trials. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, wrote this. He said, we only bear the cross for a little while, but we shall wear the crown to eternity. The tried and approved believer shall one day be a crown believer, and the crown he shall receive shall be the crown of life, or the crown which is life. In closing, we've looked at the what's and the why's of troubles, or trials. I'd like to encourage you this morning I don't know you, you don't know me. You may be going through some difficult situations in your life right now. I want to encourage you to take courage from these verses that God is sovereign. He's in control of every aspect of our lives. 
He is still in control even when it doesn't seem so, even when it doesn't feel like it. He is. Proverbs 21 verse 1, I love this verse. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of waters, he turns it wherever he wishes. I have no worries about Putin or Biden or Ramaphosa. Yes, we pray for them. And I'm glad that our brother prayed. We are admonished in scripture to pray for those who are in authority. But you know what? Our destiny, our happiness, our future does not depend on them. It's the one who has the heart of the king in his hands. Great verse, and I'm sure this is a verse that many of you like for yourselves. I want to leave with you is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where Jesus promises us that no temptation or trial has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you are able, but with the temptation slash trial will also make the way of escape so that you will be able to bear it, or so that you'll be able to stand up under it. So what's your problem today? What's my problem? A better question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we still going to be able to say, yes, I counted all joy. Danke, Heere. I don't understand, but thank you, Lord. But I'm still here. I can still worship you. Your problem may be the very thing, your problem and mine may be the very thing that God will use to strengthen and mature our faith and use as a testimony and an encouragement in the life of someone else who might be going through the same problem later down the line. Second Corinthians 1 Paul reminds us that we have received comfort in all our afflictions. Why? So that we are able to comfort those who are afflicted with the same comfort we have received. I have to also usher a warning. If you are unsaved today, then you have a huge problem. Your problem is, in, is an eternal problem, facing an eternity without Christ in a place called hell. Many preachers don't want to even use that word from the pulpit anymore, but the Bible speaks of hell very clearly. Which, by the way, was not created for, for, for man. It was created for the, for the devil, for Satan and his angels. But man chooses to go there when he rejects Christ. So I'd encourage you this morning, if you're not saved, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin in childlike faith and accept him, the one who died. And I saw the picture of the cross, the one who died on the cross. And he will give you this abundant life that we've spoken of. You can speak to Pastor Denver or any of the leaders and they'll tell you more about how to come to personal knowledge, personal salvation in Christ. I spoke to a lady the other day, a month ago, and asked her if she's made a personal uh, commitment to Christ, you know, if she's met him personally. She said, how is that even possible? And I says, yes, that is why he came. That's what the whole Bible, the Word of God is for, so that we can have a personal relationship with Christ. And I explained to her the Romans road and eventually she accepted the Lord as a Savior. And she claimed to be a believer before then, but never had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he came. To summarize, troubles and trials will always be with us. But when we respond to it with joy and seek godly wisdom and have faith and pray, believing that God can and will do something about our trials in his perfect time, the result will be that we will mature in our faith and bring glory to God. Then we'll also be able to help others in similar circumstances to be able to enjoy the abundant life which Christ promises us in his word.
hope this lesson, this message has been encouragement to you. If there's anything that's not clear or maybe that you even don't agree with, uh, except the man called John of God. Uh, please don't examine me after the, the service. But I hope that um, it's been a, a blessing to you and knowing that God cares for us and about the troubles that we face. Amen.